Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. This will be Christopher's final weekend as a pastor at Heartland. Uh, now, some people have—I've uh, seen people online asking, "Where, where are you going? Are you going to start a church? Uh, you know, where's your new church going to be?" Uh, this is their church. They're going to continue to attend here. This is the home base, but we are a sending, sending center, and this is going to be the home base from which Christopher is launching into a traveling ministry. And this is a this is a transition. I think Christopher is going to share some of the tracks on how that came about, but we've known this is going to happen for quite some time. Despite that, I was still unprepared for it to happen. Uh, but Christopher is going to begin to, uh, he's entering into traveling ministry. He's letting go of his position here. This is a huge step for him. And so I'm going to ask him to come on up here and share a little bit. And uh, I, want to, I want to say something here. Uh, when I first became the pastor of this church, I think it was 2002, is that correct? 2002, Kathy and I had been on staff for a number of years. The previous pastor had asked us to come and help. And uh, when we left Teen Challenge to come here, probably uh, two months in, I called Christopher, who was working in Chattanooga at Teen Challenge, and I said, you need to come up here and come alongside me and help me pastor this church. And uh, he came, left everything, moved into his in-law's basement. I mean, that's a, that's a huge step. You're going to live with your mother-in-law. I mean, hey, Leanne's awesome, but she's a mother-in-law to him, okay? <laughs> Enough said. You know, she's great, but hey... And, uh, but he did it for the church, and uh, they came alongside, and I remember Christopher began to lead worship for our, this Saturday night service that we launched, and when he did that, I'll be honest, the first time he led worship, I thought, I'm not sure I like how he leads worship. Now, this is a problem, because he left everything to come here, but it was Christopher was bringing something new that I wasn't even prepared for, but I recognized the Lord on it, and and, I, we, you know, we travel, we travel the nations together doing pastors' conferences. And, and I tell pastors that much of what is attributed to our church really came through Christopher. That he, he's the one that goes out, checks something out, and says, it's Jesus. And we say, let's go for it. I trust him with my life. And uh, I, we, I'm indebted to him. And if you've received out of this house, you are too. And so, Christopher, I love you. You're like a brother to me. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm so glad that everyone's so excited about me not being here anymore. I feel so honored. Thank you. Um, the, uh, um, as Pastor Dave wanted me to just share a, a, a few thoughts before I get into the word, um, just about some of this process. And I, I want to say that it's a, it's a real honor uh, to be able to share this last Sunday of the year um, I believe God has great things for us in 2020, and uh, he wants to launch us with a fresh perspective today as we head into the new year. Uh, before we get into that, um, as Dave said, this, this, is, this transition has been 
in process for quite a while. Um, there's a whole lot that I could say about it, but just let me hit a, a, a few key things. Um, this was a couple years ago. I'm, I know everyone talks about how detailed I am with dates. I really don't remember exactly when I had this snapshot vision, but the Lord showed me a picture, um, just a very short vision sometime in the last few years of, uh, of a hot air balloon on the ground, and it began to come up off the ground and then all of a sudden, got stuck because there were ropes that were tying it down. I'm like, God, what's, what's with that? What, what is this that I'm seeing? And, uh, and I didn't get a full understanding of what that was. But I knew that the, what I was seeing represented me, uh, that that was me, and that represented my ministry. And uh, I was like, okay, God, what's, what's going on with that? Obviously, what I'm seeing is these ropes need to be cut so I can be free to soar, but I, I, I don't really understand what the deal is. And so Beth and I would talk about that and go, on, how do we cut the robes? What does that mean? What does that look like? I don't know. And just kind of tucked it in the back of my mind and just would, you know, every now and then the Lord would remind me of it. And I just kind of asked the Lord and never really got any clarity on it until this past April, I was getting ready to go minister in Sri Lanka at a conference there. And, uh, the Saturday before I left, I was spending time with the Lord that Saturday morning in my room, and uh, the Lord just showed up uh, in, a, in a wonderful, very unique way, and uh, just refreshed me with His presence. It was, it was amazing, and I just lived in the fullness of that for the next um, several days, all the way until I left for Sri Lanka. I was just like buzzing with the presence of God. It, it was really amazing. And so we're on our way to the airport, and just before we get to the airport, all of a sudden, I remember that vision again, and I felt like the Lord just said, those ropes that you saw in the vision that was holding the balloon down was the, the pastoral responsibility of a local church. And uh, I'm like, wow. I, it, you know, it's one thing to say, but it's a whole other thing to just have a witness in your spirit. It's like I knew that. I shared it with Beth and eventually began to process that and meditate on it and realize that the Lord has really, really shown me that. Um, eventually, I wound up having some conversations because I would never make decisions like this um, lightly, um, but I go to spiritual fathers, leaders in my life. Um, I mean, thank God for dreams and visions and all of that, but we need to be submitted to people, to authority in our life, and to take what the impressions that we have and share them with leaders in our life. And so um, I got a hold of Paul Yidao, who's an external overseer of our, our church, uh, spiritual father, Life Hetland, shared this stuff with these men, shared it with Dave, um, processing through what I was feeling from the Lord. And uh, as time went on, God made it very clear. And another man of God had shared with me how, you know, cutting ropes, that's like kind of violent. <laughs> you ruin the rope, and that's only like emergency only. Really what needs to simply be done is just untie the rope. And uh, thankfully, no one's being cut here. It's just untied <laughs> to sore. And so the Lord really made it clear um, that he uh, wanted to unleash me uh, to just uh, soar in the heavenlies, but also uh, soar in uh, the ministry that God has for me. And this is what he told me some months back. He said, embrace the cross and I will embrace you with the cloud. I'm going to put you into the cloud of my glory then the wind of my spirit will blow that cloud to the nations of the world. And uh, 
But even with all of that, it's like, awesome, God, that sounds amazing, but I need to survive. I still have a house payment. What do I do? And, and uh, so this ongoing conversation with the Lord, and because uh, I'm, I'm thinking, man, to just give up my position and give all that up, that's just, that's crazy. Like, God, what, what am I supposed to do here? And uh, another real snapshot picture that he gave me uh, was one day I spent time with the Lord, and I saw a picture of monkey bars. Real spiritual, no. Um, but a picture of monkey bars, and I'm like, what's the deal with that? And, he, and just as soon as I saw it, the verse came to my mind, from glory to glory. And you know, the thing about monkey bars is, you know, you can, you can hold on to them. But the moment you let go to, to reach forward to the next, you're suddenly in this very awkward position where you're only holding with one hand. And all of your weight's on that one hand. And there's this awkward moment where you're suspended in there only with one hand as you're reaching for the next bar. But until you latch onto it, man, it's, it's a scary moment. Now, hopefully, for most of us, if we ever do that, it goes really fast. But still, there's that moment where it's like, I'm reaching for the next one. And the Lord just, what he was speaking in my heart is, if you want to go to the next level of glory, you've got to let go of this past success. If you want the future that I have for you, you have to let go. Sometimes when we talk about letting go of the past, we talk about letting go of bad things. And, and that's true. We need to forgive. We need to walk in grace and all that kind of stuff. But in this case, it was like, hey, I've, I, God has been so good. It has been such an honor, such a privilege to be on staff at this church for over 15 and a half years. It has been such an honor to be. I love this church. Um, it, it's, it's been a dream come true. I just, I've loved being on staff here. But at the same time, the Lord was saying, if you're going to reach into the future that I have for you, you've got to let go of this one. And that can feel really awkward for that moment, that transition to let go as you reach forward to that one. So I don't know if that means anything to you, but I'm just telling you, that that's how God's, you know, God speaks in all kinds of ways. And that's what he was showing me. And so I, I feel like for some time I've, I've been in this awkward position of only one hand, you know, holding on by one hand as I'm reaching into the future of what God has. But how many know that God wants to take us from glory to glory? And that doesn't come without risk. Like, praise God, woo, what a new level of glory. I don't want to take any risk, though. Well, I'm afraid usually the kingdom doesn't work like that. Uh, usually it's predicated upon risk. So, um, so just real quick, uh, in, the about, in the last about almost two years, we'll say, God's uh, graced uh, us to be able to go to minister in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, South Korea, Panama, Colombia, Panama various times, Colombia, uh, different times, Ohio, Brazil, Texas, Sri Lanka, obviously here in different parts of Iowa, Illinois, Nebraska, Alaska, um, and uh, some of you have heard these, uh, these testimonies, but just want to get just a, hit a couple of quick snapshots of what God's been doing. Um, different places uh, that I've gone to in, in over the last about year or so. Um, as I said, uh, Alaska. Back in March, I got a chance to go to Alaska. This little tiny church in this little village where they don't even have any power lines. Like everything's run off of generators. Um, this little uh, 
church that is uh, non-denominational, they invited me in to come and speak on the Holy Spirit. Now, they got people from all kinds of backgrounds, Catholic, Baptist, um, all kinds of different church backgrounds, okay? Only like a couple of people are Pentecostal. And they're like, we want you to share on the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking, why you would invite me to come do that? I don't know. But nonetheless, I, I knew God told me I was going, so I took the invitation. And, uh, and the last night that I was there, the Spirit of God just showed up. God showed me who I was supposed to pray for first. This young lady who did not have a church background was very new to being at the church. She goes out under the power of God, which they never experienced anything like that there. Um, she was out under the power of God for, I think, two to three hours that night. Literally, everybody left the church and just left her laying there. Everybody went home, went to bed, and they left her laying there. Um, uh, as I begin to get the reports in the days following, uh, she began to share that because I remember seeing her on the ground and at times she would be uh, lightly laughing, at times she would be lightly crying. And this, this, these were her words that she said she felt like God came in and ripped a demon of hate out of her. She forgave the people that abused her when she was a little girl. And God filled her with grace and love and peace. And her life has been transformed. Um, not only that, uh, but her husband experienced an encounter with God. It wasn't dramatic like that, but nonetheless, and don't you love how God's diverse? It doesn't all have to look the same, but her husband was powerfully impacted and their lives have been transformed. Um, I love that. The other thing was um, I felt like the Lord was touching kids in that service, and so I asked the, um, whatever kids in that meeting to come up front, and there were some young boys, I think probably around 11, 12 years old, and they were just on their face, just trembling, just weeping, crying, and later received the, the, uh, the gift of, the, of praying in tongues. Um, it was beautiful to see what God did. And, uh, and so I'm in contact with them about working out the dates to go back up there uh, again this next year. Uh, the next month, I went to Sri Lanka, um, got to minister at a youth, young adult conference there, saw the power of God come down. There was some deliverance. There was some healing. There was, I think, about 17 young people that got saved, and their backgrounds were from uh, Buddhist background, uh, Muslim, and atheist, if I remember right. Um, yeah, I really love that. That's awesome. I love that. Um, and uh, I think there was about 50 to 60 young people who were baptized in the Holy Spirit, some others that were called into, into uh, full-time ministry. It was just an awesome time. And then... Um, I got a chance to go to Brazil, travel all over Brazil the first couple of weeks of, uh, of October. Uh, it was an amazing time. It's really hard to put into words. We was just going uh, city after city for two weeks straight and just seeing every night the power of God come down. And uh, city after city, uh, church after church, just seeing the presence of God just blanket the place. And uh, some people getting saved, other people getting delivered. Just, you know, I I'm, I'm, wasn't going around praying for deliverance. It's just the Spirit of God shows up, and those demons don't like the anointing. And so they'd start to manifest and get set free, and healings, and inner healing, and just all the above. I just, one of the things I love about the Holy Spirit is how uh, He is so amazing and wise, and how He can do more, more than uh, one thing at a time. You know, in the same room, he just comes and he knows what each of us need. And so some people are going through deliverance. Some people are getting saved. Some people are getting healed. Some people are getting inner healing. All the above it. Because how many know the kingdom of God is a package deal? Okay? So I, I just love that. Uh, but he knows how to multitask. Okay? Even when I don't, he knows how to do that. Um, and, uh, 
And then our, our, our last trip was in Medellin uh, back in November. And again, uh, just hearing reports, seeing how um, pastors who were skeptical of a, of a move of God, skeptical of how the Holy Spirit wanted to move in power and see them powerfully touched, see pastors getting set free from depression. Um, and I love that. I love that. I love that there's freedom, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. I love that. He's so good. And, uh, and then uh, just on the very last night that I was there, on my way out the door, there was, wasn't even a service going on, but uh, there's a gal from the church who uh, presents to me a Venezuelan gal. Um, she had to escape Venezuela because of the crisis there, living in Colombia. And uh, she was asking for prayer. And, and uh, I said, something specific? And she said, well, actually, she said, I, was, I had cancer a while back, but it's come back. And could you just pray for me? So I was just praying over, just releasing the Father's love on her. And so she's crying, and she's getting ministered to. And when we finish, I ask her, I said, how do you feel? And she said, Oh, I feel really good. I just, I feel peace. I feel really, I feel, I feel, oh my gosh, it's gone. She starts feeling where she had a lump on her neck where there was a cancerous lump. And she's like, my gosh, it's gone. I can't believe it. She's, I mean, literally jumping up and down, screaming, crying, shouting. I love it. Isn't God so good? He's so, he's so good. He's so good. Um, in Brazil, just... One of the highlights there was um, the, pretty much the last church I was at, the 2000, uh, remember, Four Square Church. Um, the power of God just, uh, matter of fact, that's it on the screen. I don't know if we have it up here, but um, uh, just a, this, this, like, it looked like a warehouse that they converted into a church. And uh, just a wave of God's presence sweeping over this place. 2,000 people and and all the way from the back, and you could hear people throughout the room. And that's, again, one of the things I love about the multitasking of the Holy Spirit. You know, I love the ministry laying on of hands, but you can only do so much. You're limited, you know. But someone back there going through deliverance, someone back here getting filled with the love of God, somebody over here getting physically healed, um, testimony after testimony, and just getting testimonies of, of people getting so impacted, getting literally healed just from being embraced, receiving the hug from the Father. Um, along with that, uh, at that particular church, that Sunday morning, the pastor and his wife on the platform under the power of God, shaking, crying under the power of God, the weight of God's presence resting on them. And so uh, one of the things that I love about what we get to do is not only hearing, not only seeing God touch people, but then later on hearing the impact of pastors who've been transformed. They go back to their own church and the fire is lit wherever they go back to. I love that. I love that. And so it's, it's an honor to just partner with the Lord in that. Um, it is so good. So he's good. All right. So as a sending center, you know, we, we need to send people out from underneath the open heaven so that they can take what God's doing here out there. And uh, as a board, we met the other night, and, and we decided we want to give you an opportunity to sow into this ministry. As you, you hear the places where God's calling him, often uh, 
Sometimes they can't even they, they, they can't even afford to bring him. He's got to go on his own dime. And when he, and other times they'll bring him, but there's no there's no offering. And so we wanna we wanna sow into this. We wanna give into Christopher's ministry. Now, if you want to do that on an ongoing basis, you can do that through the church, or you can just go onto his website, ChristopherJolson.com, and you could give monthly. But we want to give you an opportunity this morning to sow into this ministry as Christopher begins to launch out. If you believe in what God's doing through his life, I've been with him, and uh, I believe in it, and so we want to sow into that. So I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and come forward, give you an opportunity to do that now, and then Christopher's going to bring the word. And uh, so let's go ahead and pray over that. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness towards us. And Lord, I'm asking God that you would, you would bless what goes into these offering bags. And Lord, I'm asking God that you would knit people's hearts to Christopher and Beth's. Lord, I thank you that where you lead, you provide. And Lord, as they step out, take this step of faith. Father, I ask for an abundant provision. Lord, as they let go of this rung and grab onto the other, Lord, I ask that that cloud would be released in such a phenomenal way it would shock Christopher and Beth as well as those who are receiving. In Jesus' name, amen. You just go ahead and make that out to Heartland. We're going to make sure that everything that's given gets to them. So, Christopher. Thank you. Um, if you would uh, turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 4 real quick. And... Uh, one last thing is some of you might remember about a month ago, right after we got back from Columbia, we were sharing an update what happened there. And there is just, you know, I only share that one little story of that gal getting healed from cancer, which was awesome. But um, we, we first ministered at a conference before we went to that church. And uh, Pastor David shared how in this one particular meeting, I was ministering and there was a, a pastor kind of sitting halfway back. I didn't know he was a pastor. Uh, the dude is like in his early 60s, I think. And uh, I'm just walking through, just releasing the presence of God. And I, I go back to him and I lay my hand on him. And the Spirit of God comes on him. Well, I didn't know he was really struggling with me sharing. He didn't like what I was talking about. He's like, I don't really believe in all this stuff. I don't, really, I don't like it. Well, God really touches him. Well, then I go back up front and I start calling people forward. I'm like, hey, bring that person up to here. Bring this person up. Bring this person up. And so I called this guy up front. And I don't even think he made it all the way to the front. And bam, he gets hit by the Spirit of God. He is down on the floor under the power of God. And it just got wild in that place. It was, it was a lot of fun. So I'm standing there with the mic. And all of a sudden, this, this guy laying in front of me starts tapping my shoes. Starts tapping him. And then he stops, and then his hands start fidgeting. And then all of a sudden, he starts to untie my shoe. And then he's done untying it, and then he unlaces the whole thing. I'm like, Dave, look at can, look what this guy's doing. And then he goes to the next shoe. Same thing. And he pulls the laces out. Woo! All excited. And then he gets up and goes, sits down with my laces. This is not the kind of behavior we try to promote in meetings. Like, this is not our goal, okay? Untying shoes is not our goal. But it's like, what in the heck? And everybody, we're like, this is too weird for this not to be prophetic. Every, there's several people who are like, this is a prophetic act. 
Well, I'm reminded, if you remember what I shared, the Lord showed me that picture of that hot air balloon and how the ropes are not to be cut, but they're to be untied, untethered, to be free, to move in a flow. And so there was just, uh, and, and, and as well, and then that, I think it was that night, then the, the pastor of the, the, that conference got up after we'd ministered and said, uh, Christopher, uh, God has not called you to just one local church. God has called you to the worldwide church, to the universal church. Your ministry is bigger than one local church. And then turned to Dave and said, you need to get ready, Pastor Dave, because he's not going to be there anymore. So it was just confirmation after confirmation. So God is really good. Okay, um, real quick, uh, Romans chapter 4. How many of you would give freedom to the Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants? Just welcome him. Say, Holy Spirit, come do what you want. Speak to me what I need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Romans chapter 4. I want to look at this real quick. I shared several weeks ago how when I was uh, 10 years old, the Lord spoke to me and, uh, out in an empty field one night, surrounded by corn, looking up in the sky, August of 1990, and he said, I am going to send you uh, to the nations. And that was not on my radar at all. And I'm like, I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know anybody. I don't have a, I don't have a, a passport. I have no money. I don't have any invitation. But okay, if you're going to do that, that's up to you. And this, that's what he told me. So I want to look at this real quick. Um, this little section about Abraham in Romans 4. Um, so we're going to, uh, at the end of verse 16, it says, He is the father of us all. Who's your spiritual father? Abraham. Okay, you might have other spiritual fathers too, but he's the father of us all. Father Abraham had many sons. They're here in Heartland. Okay, 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into being that were not. Don't you love that? God declares his destiny over him. I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. Which God? Oh, this God, the God who gives life to the dead, and this God who calls things that are not as though they were. This is the God who calls him, the God who gives life to the dead. Not just any God, not just any random God. This God, the God who gives life to the dead. This is the God who has called you, who's redeemed you as a destiny for your life. When Paul is saying that, hey, he is our spiritual father, and this is written for an example. What he's saying is that there's a pattern here for all of us to follow. That we get to learn these lessons from the life of Abraham. Go to verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Against all hope. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that in your life. Or maybe even feel like that today, but man, there's some situations where you're like, yeah, I got hope, kind of, sort of, I'm trying to hold on to some hope. Against all hope. Is against all hope, in hope, he believed. And that's how he became the father of many nations. How did he become the father of many nations? You, well, you could look at the sovereign side and say, well, it's because God declared it. Sure, yeah, that's true. Wouldn't have happened if God hadn't purposed it. But it says that the way he became the father was that he believed. Yes, 
We got to have the word of the Lord. You got to hear the word of the Lord. You got to hear what God has purposed for your life and hear the voice of the Father speaking over your life. But at the same time, there's nothing like mixing your faith with what he says, even when it looks impossible. And this is what I really love, what comes next. Against all hope, Abraham in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Are there things that God has spoken to your life? Are there promises that he's given you? Is there things that he's spoken to you about you, your family, your future, your kids, future generations, your grandkids, whoever, whatever in your life? Are there promises that God has given you? I don't know what those are for you. But here we have in this passage something that I love and I find it fascinating. He says... Without weakening in, his, weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. You know what I love about this? Is this shows me that faith is not afraid to look at the facts. See, real faith is not sticking your head in the sand and going, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. Kind of like whistling in the dark. You know, if our concept of faith is, I can't look at what's really going on around me then we don't have a right concept of faith. Because biblically what we have here, the, f the father of faith, Abraham, he looked at the facts. And the fact was, he was an old man. He's like, I'm looking at my body, it's as good as dead. Have you ever had God tell you, this is what I want to do? And you're like, I don't know how this is going to work. It's not adding up. I'm old. This ain't working. I'm broke. I'm whatever. Fill in the blank. But my current reality that I perceive does not match up with what God's saying. Anybody been there? Okay, so Abraham, in hope, against all hope, he got his hopes up and believed anyways. And then what he does is he faces the facts, and faith is not unwilling to face the facts. It's not just I'm going to confess and confess and confess and just declare these things. And hope that it turns out okay. No, he was willing to look at his situation straight in the eyes and go, yep, I'm old. Yep, she's old too. I'm sure he said it to her in a respectful way, but it's like her womb was as good as dead. Okay, she's old, I'm old, this ain't going to happen. This is impossible. Except with God. Because he's the God of the impossible. Faith faces facts, but refuses to be ruled by the facts. Faith faces facts, but ultimately focuses on the faithfulness of the Father. Look, I can't guarantee everything you think God spoke to you, God really did say. You have to discern that for yourself. And I want to encourage you again. If you feel like God spoke things to you, share it with some other godly leaders in your life that can help you process through that. But the things that God has truly spoken, the dreams that he's put in your heart, the destiny that you feel, what God has spoken into your life, oftentimes he will speak to us things that do look impossible. And what I love about this is it says he faced the facts without diminishing his faith. How many of us, God speaks to us, 
Woo, I got a plan. I got a destiny for you. Come to church on a Sunday morning. We're all worshiping God and his presence is here and it's glorious. And somebody gives you a word. Yes, I got destiny for my life. Hallelujah. And then Monday comes and you face some facts. And you're like, oh, no. How can this really be? Am I this the right person? God, do you know what I'm going through? Yes, God's called me to do this. And you look at your checkbook and you're like, I don't, that's not going to work. But it says that Abraham faced the facts, but he did not waver in his faith. Matter of fact, it says he was strengthened in his faith. Why? Because his focus was not on the facts. Although he acknowledged it. I'm old. She's old. This does not look good. But he wasn't focused on the facts. He acknowledged it. He acknowledged the facts, but he's saying, I got something a whole lot bigger than these facts. I got the faithfulness of a father who promised me. He's a faithful father. If there's anything, I, what I feel in my spirit this morning is just simply this, that we have a really, really good papa. He's a trustworthy father. He can be trusted in everything, in every season. We are on the precipice of 2020. I want to prophesy over you for 2020. I want to prophesy over you as an individual, of your family, over this church in 2020. You ready? In 2020, you will have some difficulties. You're going to have some challenges. Jesus promised we'd have tribulation. Woo, hallelujah. But you'll also have opportunities to see the goodness of God manifest in your life. Because ultimately what determines 2020 is not the circumstance. It's the goodness of a trustworthy father. You want a word for 2020? Let me give you this word. It's all over the word. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Does that not include 2020? Oh, but it's an election year. Man, anybody watch the news lately and all the political chaos we got going on? But his word's still true. For the Lord is good, but it's an election year. And his love endures forever. Yeah, but there's my checkbook. But his love endures forever. I got these promises. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. And I don't know. Can he call me? And I don't feel qualified. Look, I'm stepping into this new season not because I feel qualified. I didn't come on staff here in the first place because I felt qualified. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of jobs that, like, you should feel quite qualified and, you know, confident to step into it. But I'm telling you, for those of you who are involved in, 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 in full-time ministry like that, I don't think there's any of us who feel qualified. And if we did for a while, then God graciously strips us of self-confidence. And then we don't feel confident. We don't feel qualified. I'm not stepping into this season because I feel qualified. I just know my father's called me. I'm like, God, if I were you, I wouldn't call me. I would call somebody else. But I'm not you. Thankfully, hallelujah, we all say amen to that. He's a good God. He's a good father. He knows what he's doing. So I go, Papa, I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand it. But if you called me, then you'll equip me. If you've called me, then I'm qualified. Nothing of my own, but because you've called me. So I can look at areas of my life and go, God, I wouldn't have done it this way. And if I were you, I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have done it. But you're God and I'm not. 
And I look at areas of my life and I go, there's some dry bones there. And wow, man, you know what? Man, I'm, 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 my buddy is good as dead. I, I look at areas of my life and I go, man, I, I see what Abraham's talking about. But hope against hope. And he declared the goodness of God. He mixed his faith with what the father was saying. Instead of weakening in his faith, he was strengthened. Faith faces facts, but realizes that facts don't determine my destiny. Only my daddy determines my destiny because my father is greater than the facts. Real quick, go to uh, Romans 5, 9. He's a good God. He's a good father. He's extravagant. Man, I'm weak. And those of you who know me well, you know I'm weak. For years, I used to try to focus on entering God's presence based on my love for him. But I've learned more and more to just enter his presence based on his love for me. Because my, lo my love is weak and it fluctuates. My faith is weak and it fluctuates. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not about my love or my faith. It's about the Father's faithfulness. It's just about gazing on the faithful one. And the more that I fix my focus on the faithful one, it awakens faith in my heart. It's not about us being strong in faith. It's just being so convinced of his goodness. It says that he was fully convinced that God could do what he promised. Fully convinced. Fully convinced that God was more than enough to fulfill his word. So I, I want to just highlight a few verses real quick with just this one theme. Struck me one day, I'm reading the word, and this phrase stuck out to me. How much more? Romans 5 Nine. Since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Romans 5.10. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Say this with me. How much more? One more time. How much more? Whew. That's good. Matthew 6, 26. Much more. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Matthew 6, 30. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown to the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Matthew 7, 11. If you then that are, that are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now go to Luke 11. Here's what I love about this. We've all been there. We've all been there. We've looked at something in our life and got God, I don't know how you're going to come through in this. God, I got this need. I don't know how you're going to do this. I don't know how you're going to come through. I don't know how you're going to provide. Oh, God, you even know the situation I'm going through. It's so hard. 
It's like, yeah, but remember the cross? Well, yeah, I mean, I know God so loved me that, that, he, that he poured out his wrath on Jesus at the cross so that I could be forgiven. He died for me when I was a sinner. And that's awesome. But, man, I'm dealing with these chronic headaches. Or I'm dealing with a lack of funds in my bank account. I'm dealing with, like, we've all been there. And we look at different areas in our life that are a real struggle. And we're like, God, there's a lack in my life. There's a weakness. There's a struggle. And we forget the bigger picture. Where it says, and while we were sinners. Look, the greatest need that you and I have ever had. The greatest crisis you and I have ever had. Was standing guilty before a holy God. And Jesus took care of that at the cross. The greatest crisis for all of eternity. Look, whatever crisis we might face now will never be bigger and greater than that crisis when we were guilty before a holy God. And Jesus shed his blood at Calvary to wash us and make us clean. The greatest crisis you and I ever had has already been dealt with at the cross. You know what? Everything after that is small. Everything after that is small. Now, it doesn't feel like it in the moment, does it? Right? We've, we've all been there. But I've had to remind myself that, you know what? If he sent Jesus to the cross for me, how much more is he not going to take care of all these other things? Do you remember out of Matthew 25... When these different ones get the talents, and the final guy who was given one talent, he goes out and he buries his talent because he tells the master, he says, I knew that you were a harsh taskmaster, and you demand things that are unjust. You demand a reaping where you've not sown. So I went and hid it because I knew you were harsh. Man, I don't want to live like that. I want to recognize there is grace for every situation I'm in. Whatever you're facing today, there's grace. There's grace. There's no exception to the rule. There's no exception to the rule. There is grace. For every challenge that took place in my life for the last season, there was grace. Sometimes I saw it. Sometimes I felt it. Sometimes I did recognize it. But I know there's always grace. God always has a solution. In this next season, I'm going to face new trials. Boy, isn't that exciting. I'm going to face new difficulties. But you know what? The, the same God of grace is going to be there. God has a solution for every problem. He's a God of grace. He's a trustworthy Father. And the response of the others were like, you gave me these talents. Thank you. I've invested. Now I'm giving you what you multiply. You're a trustworthy master. You're a trustworthy God. If he gave his very best by sending Jesus to the cross, how much more will he not give us all things that we need? Whatever that is, he's a trustworthy God. Father. Real quick, let's look at this Luke. 
chapter 12. Go to verse 24. 12, 24. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much, how much more valuable you are than the birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider, consider how the wild flowers grow, yet they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Now finally, go over to 2 Corinthians. See, every time we obey him, we're declaring that he's a trustworthy father. Every time we obey him, we're saying, God, you are good. And you're worthy to be trusted. My wife and I, we, as we were just wrestling through that whole process of me giving up my salary, I realized, you know what? I need to change my language. I'm not going to use words like, I'm giving up my salary. I begin to say, Lord, I give it as an offering to you. I give it as an offering. You're worthy. Lord, you, you don't owe me anything. You don't owe me anything. I'm not entitled to anything. And yet you gave your best for me. You gave Jesus. There's nothing that I can do that I can really call a sacrifice. You are truly the only one who is really sacrificed. When you gave yourself at the cross. So Lord, what can I do but reciprocate and just give myself back to you? He's a good papa. He's a trustworthy father. St. Corinthians, go to chapter 3. St. Corinthians, chapter 3. Say with me one more time. How much more? How much more? Go to verse 8. Verse 8. He's comparing and contrasting Old Covenant with New Covenant. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, the ministry of the Old Covenant that brought condemnation was glorious. How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? You and I are under the new covenant, and we get to know God as our Father. If you read through, we just read through a bunch of passages, a bunch of scripture that was in uh, Luke and Matthew, Sermon on the Mount. And um, years ago, I was reading through the Sermon on the Mount, and I realized, oh my goodness. 
As you read through that, there's a lot of challenging things that are being said there. Really, what he's saying is this, is that, look, the pagans, they worry. A lot of virgins say pagans. Pagans run after all these other things. But you have a father. They worry, but you have a father. They chase these things. They live in fear, but you have a father. Everything hinges on this thing, recognizing that you have a good father. The reason why we don't have to live like the pagans do, living in worry and fear, the reason why we can boldly with confidence enter 2020 is not because we have great confidence in our government or because nothing bad's going to happen. No. It's not because there's someone bigger and greater than all of this. The sovereign God of the universe is ruling over the nations. And he's ruling my life. He is a good God. He's a good father. So our confidence at the precipice of 2020 is not in circumstances. It's in the goodness of a holy, perfect, loving father. He says, if you... Though you're evil, know how to give. Like, like if your kid comes to you and asks you for a fish, you're going to give him a snake? You're going to give him a scorpion? No. If he asks for bread, you're not going to give him a stone? How much more your heavenly Father? But the secret, the underpinning to live the reality of the Sermon on the Mount is to recognize and we have a trustworthy father. He is really, really, really good. I want to wrap this up with Psalm 23. Psalm 23. I love this passage. I love this passage. Some people just refer to it at funerals. What good is a verse if you only use it after you're dead? Like, I want to mine the truth out of it now while I still have life. Okay? I was just reading the other day that a lot of scholars believe that David wrote this while he was still quite young, like a teenager. Let's, uh, I love the whole thing, but let's just, let's go down to that last verse. Verse 6, surely your goodness and love will be hard to find except for on the days that I'm really pressing into you. And if I've disciplined myself enough, I can finally get a glimpse of something good of you. Is that what it says? This is what he says. I, I don't, when you, if you think of the prophetic, I don't know if you think of this passage. But it struck me one day as I'm reading this, okay? And David writing this, he's making a declaration. David is prophesying over his life. Look, I love prophets and I love the prophetic and bless God, we're a prophetic house, and we've had a lot of prophets in this pulpit. And we're going to have more. It's awesome. But there's nothing like you declaring the truth 
of who God is over your own life. We honor prophets and we are grateful for them. And they have their role. And God bless them as they do what they do well. But nobody and nothing can take the place of your voice declaring the purpose of God over your life. There's nothing like taking the word of God. Because see, some prophet can come to you and say, the Lord's calling you to go here and do this and these plans and that's all great. Okay, weigh those prophetic words. But then you have the truth of his written word that never fails. And we got a glimpse of the nature and character of God. And this is what David was doing even in his youth. He was declaring the purposes and the faithfulness of God over his life. He says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Every day. That means even bad days. How many know David had some bad days? Okay. David was not foolishly, erroneously prophesying, I'll never have a bad day. You read his life, he had some really rough days. He was betrayed a lot. He failed himself and others failed him. He betrayed his own standards. He failed and others betrayed him. It wasn't a matter of him declaring, I'll never have a bad day. He's just saying there's something so much bigger and greater than a bad day. There's something that transcends the circumstances of a day. And that is the transcendent goodness of my Holy Father. He's a good God. And so he's looking at his future and he's declaring this. Surely goodness and love will follow me. Chase me down every day of my life. I would imagine that these words came back to him after he failed. And he's living with the weight of guilt and shame over what he did. After his sin with Bathsheba and murder was exposed. And he's feeling condemned and he's feeling rotten. And yet these words start coming back to him. God, I failed. I blew it. I blew it. I failed big time. But Lord, I thank you that you put it on my heart as a young man to declare this prophecy over my life. And Lord, it was true then. It's true now. Surely your goodness will come to me. Surely your love is going to chase me down. Even on my worst day. Even when my worst days are because I brought it upon myself. It's not about me. It's about you. He declared the goodness and the purpose of God over his life. Every day, the goodness of God was going to chase him down. He said, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That was Old Covenant. Look, this isn't saying, come, everybody move into this church and stay here in this building. No, I, I would flip that around and say, because of the New Covenant and the access that we have, we have access to the Father's presence 24-7. Okay? I think a New Covenant way of reading this would be, and I will dwell in my Father's presence all the days of my life. I will dwell in His presence he wasn't waiting for something to happen. He wasn't waiting to see what life would throw at him and to see how he would react. He was predetermining, saying, God is good. 
God is good. There is no lack with him. There is no lack of his goodness. There's no lack of his love. He lacks nothing. He is the God of El Shaddai. He knows an endless supply. He is a good God from beginning to end. And this amazing God loves me. And I choose to filter everything in my future through that lens. So, Father, I thank you for what you're going to do in 2020. I thank you Lord, for my own life this next season that you're bringing me into. But, Lord, I thank you for the season corporately we're about to enter into. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would grace us. For those of us that you're highlighting this morning to let go of a rung, so we can reach forward to grab the next from glory to glory and even in that awkward transition where we feel suspended in air by only one hand your grace is sufficient and you're moving us forward and we declare we declare that surely your goodness and your mercy will follow us all the days of our lives and we declare the truth that's written in the new covenant. If that was true for David under the old covenant, now we say, how much more? How much more? Woo! How much more? For the sons and daughters of God who've been redeemed in Christ, how much more? How much more? Woo! Mm. Now, Lord, we thank you that even in the midst of our enemies, you've provided a table for us to taste and see that you are good. You've provided a banqueting table for us to taste and know that you are good. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.